Welcome to the A Fire podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. This has not been an easy time to run a city, any city. But I think very few would argue with me when I say that Washington, D.C. seems to have had an extra large plate of challenge for anyone to look at and to consider. Um, the team that's been in place in terms of the leadership for D.C., has done an admirable job dealing with everything that they're dealing with. I'm really fortunate today, as we are trying, or at least can see a time when we'll come out of COVID in some form or fashion, speaking with someone who's a leader within Washington, D.C., that is looking at how things come back and where we go from there. And how do we, uh, to, to quote uh, the current federal administration, how do we build back better uh, within our cities and how does the real estate industry and the real estate investment industry uh, be involved in that new version of the city. So very, very fortunate to have the uh, deputy mayor of Washington, D.C., John Falchicchio, uh, in the podcast with me here today. So thank you, John, for joining me on the A-Fire podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me and excited to uh, be with you for this conversation. Fantastic. Well, I, I guess to start with, I mean, we're, we're now, right now, when we're speaking, we're towards uh, the, the latter half of April. Quite a few folks, I think 25 to 30 percent, uh, are vaccinated now uh, nationally. It may be more so in D.C. Um, and we are still somewhere around a 25 to 30 percent occupancy rate within the offices in the CBDs. Um, as people are coming back, or are they coming back? Uh, what are you doing and what, what are your colleagues doing uh, to make sure that downtown D.C. Um, springs back into a post-COVID world? Absolutely. Well, it's a great question, and it's one that I work to answer uh, every day, uh, and it seems like every hour. Uh, so really what people want to know at this point is how do we reopen? Uh, so what Mayor Bowser has actually said is that we've got to crush the virus first, right? So you mentioned the vaccination rates. So having about 25%, and we've crested that 25% mark of adults who are fully vaccinated is a great place to be because it shows that we're making progress on vaccinating our residents. However, we have a long way to go to get to that herd immunity. So I think sometimes people get a little bit ahead of, so when can we reopen? And what we're trying to do is really think about this in kind of three phases. So we think about relief, recovery, and growth. So the District of Columbia uh, in 2019 was on a rocket ship. Uh, we were growing in residents. We were growing in the number of jobs. Uh, our commercial office uh, market was uh, strong and gaining more capacity. Uh, and so what we wanted to do uh, was really kind of just build on that success. 2020 obviously grinded all of it to a halt. 
but it did so obviously nationally and, and around the world. Uh, so what I always say to folks is we've got to get through this period right now where it's really our jobs, all of our jobs are to crush the virus. And then we're going to bounce back even better. Uh, you know, before this, we used to say that we were the district of champions. Uh, our nationals have won a World Series. Our mystics have won a championship. Our capitals have won a championship. Um, but really, we've got to be the district of comebacks. And so that comeback isn't just about how we reopen uh, on May 1st or how we reopen on June 1st, but really how we build back better, like you said. And really, it's not just about getting to the new normal. It's about getting to a better normal. Uh, so equity is going to be part of everything that we do when we think about how we reopen. Well, well, talk to me about that in terms of equity and what's happening there. Certainly, it's, it's, it's high profile at the moment, a lot of attention and a lot of interest in figuring out how best to create affordable housing and equal access to housing and capital. Is there any work that you're seeing uh, in that area that you, you think will help be transformative in the years ahead? Yep. So um, I mentioned Mayor Bowser. So Mayor Bowser is in her second term. Uh, so she won her first election in 2014 for mayor, uh, started in January 2015. Uh, January 2019, when she began her second term, she actually laid out a goal for, for the district. She said that she wanted us to create uh, 36,000 new homes by 2025. Now, when you think about that, uh, we're a jurisdiction that had about 360,000 homes. So by 10 or 11%, she wanted to increase the housing stock. She also said that it was important for us to have an affordable housing goal. So of that goal, uh, uh, 12,000 need to be affordable. So one third of our goal will be to uh, affordable levels at about 80% of the area median income. What we also did within that initiative was actually created targets by neighborhood for affordable housing. So uh, we have 10 planning areas in the district. Uh, if you've been to D.C. and you know where the National Zoo is, uh, that's really a high opportunity area. It's uh, what we call Ward 3, uh, what a lot of folks who visit D.C. call Upper Northwest. Um, and that's a high opportunity area. They've got the biggest goal because right now they have the fewest number of affordable housing units. So equity is important to us, uh, not just to deliver more affordable housing, but to deliver it across the city. And so we're proud that that initiative actually launched in 2019, uh, and we've been making progress on it since. The other, um, for folks who follow real estate, the other initiative I would highlight is the district um, does its own development solicitations for land that it needs to surplus. Um, and we do that with actually an equity RFP. That's an RFP where uh, usually we had uh, teams that had um, really smaller developers who were uh, people of color or women uh, being parts of larger teams. Now with the equity RFP, they actually have to lead the team. So, I, and this has been a little bit confusing for folks because uh, people in the marketplace say, oh, well, we'll have our, our local business you know, participation. But now what we've actually done is we've flipped that dynamic um, with this new equity RFP, which means that that local uh, part of the team needs to lead the team and carry the uh, majority percentage of the deal. When talking about these kinds of deals, uh, what kind of involvement, organized involvement, are you seeing uh, from the communities themselves, from the people that live there, from the from the businesses that are not involved with development necessarily, but uh, could benefit or 
uh, could be ill-served by whatever development that is there. No, absolutely. And that was actually uh, something that we talked about when we thought about this equity RFP is because when we think about uh, real estate development, we think about how we can improve uh, a plot of dirt, right? Um, and we want to make sure that we uh, get the most value out of that. We want to make sure that it advances some of our priorities like affordable housing. Um, what we had before the pandemic uh, was we had all the retail we could ever want. We just didn't have it where we needed it, right? So we needed to create new food access points. So by actually putting local teams in the driver's seat and local teams that uh, are led by people of color uh, and women, it means that it's a closer connection to the community so that, like you said, they already have the community connection in order to know what the community wants. Uh, so obviously we do robust engagement nonetheless, uh, but that connection to the community is already there. So what we say is that the community shouldn't benefit just from the end product, but should benefit all along the way in terms of the economic um, advantages that you get from you know, developing a new parcel of land. That, that makes a lot of sense, John. I, I, I wonder, retail, you, you, you brought it up. Uh, certainly we over-retail, not dispersed to the right neighborhoods and everything else, but certainly from a, just a gross square footage per person standpoint, it, unlike any other country at any time in history back in 2019, even then after years of being chipped away by Amazon and company, um, it's pretty bad right now. We're seeing a lot of dead malls. We're seeing a lot of dead uh, main streets in terms of retail. Some of that's going to come back, obviously, or hopefully, uh, but not a lot of it. Are you seeing anything around kind of the reimagining of of retail centers, of shopping centers or strip malls and the associated zoning challenges that go with that? Uh, we are. So actually, we have the benefit of we're actually right in the thick of our uh, comprehensive plan um, redo. So we're actually uh, updating our comprehensive plan right now. It's uh, before our council. Uh, they'll vote on it uh, next month. And it is part of the conversation. Uh, one of the things I smiled when you said reimagining, uh, I was on a, a talk with our uh, downtown uh, business improvement district, uh, which actually uh, captures just about half of our central business district. Um, it's about one square mile um, and it accounts for really what is the heart of our economic engine uh, as a city. And they were talking about reimagining retail space. And what I pressed uh, the panelists on yesterday was that we can't just reimagine the retail space and have the property owners do that. And then the city reimagines the public space. And then somebody else reimagines how you're going to fill all that office space above. It actually has to be coordinated. Um, and so what I challenged uh, the downtown bid to do was to make sure that they don't just try to reimagine the retail space while we try to reimagine the public space. Because I think people just want a different experience when they come to cities now. And that changed overnight. But what won't happen is uh, us changing the public space. Um, I was actually really encouraged because when we went into the pandemic, um, we actually um, talked about how we would reopen uh, restaurants uh, in you know late March of 2020, how we would get back to it. That concept, which you've seen around the country, streeteries, uh, as we call them, uh, outdoor dining, was something that I thought we were going to have to have a lot of community engagement to get to. Uh, I thought we were going to have to go through what we call advisory neighborhood commissioners, uh, which kind of are the local, most local uh, parts of our government. They represent about 2,000 people. 
they vote on things like uh, your liquor license, how many hours you're open each week and how late you can stay open and things like that. I thought they were going to want to vote on every single shootery. And what we saw, because that would generally be our process pre-pandemic, what we actually saw was um, uh, A&T commissions said to us, we actually want you to do whatever you can to support our restaurants and retail. And don't come to us to approve each one. Just make sure there are standards that are clear. And then we'll make sure uh, that they're successful and we'll get the community to support it. So I think that there's actually a lot of collaboration uh, and innovation that I saw uh, in the pandemic that I hope actually carries us when we get past it as well. Me too. I, I mean, there certainly has been a spirit of let's let's figure out how to make this work uh, as opposed to let's figure out what annoys me, uh, which seems to be the usual go-to. Um, but, you know, I, I, let me go back just a little bit to retail because I, and I think that and, and maybe to all of these reimaginings that we do, because what I worry about, because a lot of times, you know, you have the, the exercise where everyone sits down and you have a day of brainstorming and you reimagine. And to a certain extent, quite often, it's the same as it was before, only with different window dressing of some kind. So the reimagining is new retail uh, when it may not be that. Um, it could be a completely different category or reimagining a park that's the same as the 19th century park that it was based on and, you know, but maybe with some electronic signage, uh, you know, or, or, or whatever. There, there, there's a tendency for us not to go deep enough or not to go beyond the category. So everyone in retail, if you ask them what the solution is, they're going to say better retail. Um, it, you know, but if you ask a different discipline to look at something like that, you might come up with an answer that actually solves for oh, we have a community, we have to activate this space, we have to come to get, we want to come together, we want these things to happen. Um, and did someone ever imagine ABC? You know, whatever those things are. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering when you go through these exercises, is there an attempt to cross the categories of thought or the, the silos of thinking? Yeah, I mean, that's actually exactly what uh, we're working on right now. So what we've done is we've actually set up uh, what the mayor has called the District Economic Recovery Team. So it's a cross-agency uh, team that actually has worked for months to try to figure out which efficiencies and innovations we can make sure last beyond the pandemic. But we also are blessed that we have um, a uh, federal resource uh, of direct assistance that we have to invest in making sure, like you said, that it's not just uh, reimagining and it's not just kind of really, some people think of reimagining, I think, to what you're saying, as like a renovation. Well, we're not looking for a renovation. We're actually thinking about how you actually reimagine it. So one of our deputy mayors, uh, who's a lot smarter than me, said, well, I actually like that there's not a whole lot of cars downtown. So how do we kind of reimagine some streets that are car free? Can we do that on certain days? Can we do that at certain times? And so what we're looking at is how do we take that um, federal resource and actually invest it? Now, going back to retail, what I think uh, we're learning in the pandemic is that we've got to be as flexible as possible and find as many revenue streams uh, that we can in order to support businesses. Um, and so one of the companies that I'm excited about uh, is a DC-based company uh, owned by two women of color. Uh, they uh, called it WorkChew. So what WorkChew does is they actually are a co-working space, but they're even more flexible than uh, one of our other great partners like WeWork. What WorkChew does is allows uh, restaurants 
uh, even retailers or hotels to actually make space available uh, in their uh, settings in order for people to go do their co-working in that space. So um, I tease the team because when we heard about it, we've highlighted this approach uh, and our team actually, although we don't have to be in the office every day now, has started to actually gather and they're more likely to gather at a work chew than they are in a conference room back at our office. So work chew actually shows you that we have to kind of reimagine that I'm gonna open up a shop that's gonna open 11 a.m., close at 8 p.m., and then do the same thing each weekday and maybe hopefully have different hours on the weekend or a restaurant that says, I open for the lunch and the dinner crowd and then you know nothing happens in between. Well, with a concept like WorkChew, you actually are able to kind of rethink, reimagine uh, how space is used so that it's actually more active throughout the day. And I think that's actually part of like, when we think about how people are gonna wanna work, which I know we'll probably talk about uh, in the future, they just want more flexibility. And so uh, this concept, this reimagining has to be thought about with the end user in mind, not just how we kind of renovate the space that we already have. A lot of, certainly a lot of discussion around office and what's happening to the CBD and a big part of obviously DC is an, a, a pretty incredible uh, CBD. Uh, but we're starting to see some figures that are disturbing. One, that people are not coming back at the level that even now people expected them to come back given the, the level of vaccination. Two, most people have been in their heads kind of going, all right, it's going to be around 70% uh, of your time in the office, 30% at home once everything gets back to normal. So we'll still be mostly using the offices, just taking more days where we work from home. Um, latest report from Green Street suggests that that number, and we don't know, we're still speculating, this is something in the future, that it could be flipped. It could be that 30% of our time is going to be in the office and 70 or and 70% at home, which suggests that workshoe and other things like that are going to be very, very attractive. But it also means who's using those buildings? Who's in the CBD right now? How much of that square footage is needed? Are you working with folks to kind of on that issue in terms of what's going to happen to the CBD that now has perhaps uh, roads where you can only walk or bicycle, which I'm all in for. I love that. But uh, what's going to happen with that density of office workers that come in all the time, eat in the restaurants, shop in the stores, are part of the life of a, a central business district. What do you think is going to happen? So I'm a little more optimistic than even our market studies will tell us. And I think the reason why I'm a little more optimistic is because right now, when you're not doing it, when you're not going to the office any days, uh, then you get a little bit kind of complacent or comfortable in thinking that you just want to work from home. But there's a lot of advantages that working in the office uh, really allow for. It's the reason why we did it so much before. So I think you're right that people are going to kind of want that flexibility uh, and they're going to want to be able to have the option to work from home. But I still think they're going to want to have that home base. I was actually looking through a market study that uh, our partner WeWork uh, has done. And I do say that our partner WeWork is the largest uh, private leaseholder uh, in the District of Columbia. And so, uh, and they're flexible uh, scheduling, their flexible, um, you know, locations allow for people to actually uh, really come out of this pandemic with uh, ability to kind of not have to go back to the same place every day. And I think that's what you're alluding to. I think people are a little concerned right now as they're concerned about vaccination, they're concerned about school and childcare and whether that's going to be uh, something that they can rely on. I think that you do see those numbers kind of inflated in terms of 
how little people want to go to the office. But I actually think that, um, you know, folks say that we're a, a town of student council presidents. Uh, our folks have been tr extraordinary at following all the health protocols, uh, like mask wearing, social distancing, uh, that we've asked them to do. And so I think our folks want to be back uh, in the office. They just don't want to have to be there, like you said, five days a week. So we work in their market study found that people thought that uh, four, three or four days were the most popular for how many days a week they thought you should be back. And what I thought was interesting was people wanted to be in the office for about five hours a day. So when you think about that, uh, five hours a day could mean that you come in, you grab a cup of coffee, right? Grab a cup of coffee, maybe grab lunch. And the, knowing the way we all kind of are overachievers in Washington, D.C., uh, we probably were going to stay a little bit longer than that five hours we thought we would. So in addition to that cup of coffee, that lunch that you bought, you're probably going to go to either happy hour or dinner uh, with colleagues or a work associate. And I think if we're able to achieve that, then we get what we need to uh, out of the office utilization. Um, and so that's why I'm a little bit more optimistic. And I know that like sounds very, very practical, but I think we have to be practical. And that's what's actually going to uh, get us through this. We also have to attract new users. Um, so we've talked about this before, but for us, we're really focused on uh, what we like to say, the feds, the eds, and the meds. So we uh, are obviously the seat of the federal government. We're very proud of that. Uh, but the government sector accounts for 30% of our workforce. Uh, the other part of the workforce is private sector, a lot of service jobs in the district. Um, but the feds, we know that they need uh, to grow uh, as they put out some of the largest spending since we've seen uh, since really uh, the Great Depression um, and the spending that had to happen to come out of that since the world wars. So there's a lot of spending that's happening. The federal government's going to grow. And folks who want to do business with the federal government, it's critical that they have a presence here in D.C. so they're close to their customer. It's also critical that people who are affected by what the federal government uh, puts in place for policy and law, that they're here as well. So the feds, I think, is a sector that we know is still going to be sort of the uh, bedrock of D.C. And then for eds and meds, we've got uh, about nine home universities in the district uh, and another dozen or so that have presences here in the district. Uh, that's really important. It's part of the reason why we're the most highly educated uh, city and region in the country and why our workforce is second to none in terms of uh, for employers to recruit from. And then finally, uh, the meds. We're really excited. Uh, obviously, we're in the midst of the pandemic uh, to see the investment in medical research uh, that's going to happen coming out of this pandemic and a commitment from the federal government. We're really excited that that's going to be in place. We benefit from that because the, uh, the regulators, just going back to the feds, the regulators, those who are going to buy the products that our medical fields are going to produce, they need to be here. They need to be close by. So I think we're going to find the users to fill that office space that you're alluding to in that central business district. One of the things that uh, I think DC has has done quite a bit of over the last few years uh, has been around uh, ESG. Um, and one thing kind of on the side, which is probably the best urban bike path experience uh, possible, that, that wonderful uh, dividing line on the road between, uh, on Pennsylvania Avenue between uh, 
Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, as so, I love renting a bicycle whenever I'm in DC and riding that it's just spectacular and, and just brilliant. Uh, when you think about ESG, where it's going, certainly a lot of investors' concerns are about that now. Uh, even before we get back to the office, everyone is very concerned about the directions we're going. There's a lot more energy coming from the federal government and, and, and around the world, uh, but certainly the institutional capital uh, base has been very concerned about this for some time and has actually started to do some interesting things around that. So I would love to, to hear what, what you're thinking as a, a city leader and what DC is doing around ESG? Yeah, so we actually have made a commitment uh, to be uh, the uh, first uh, lead platinum city in the country. Uh, so our commitment, it's part of our DC values. Uh, we're coming off of Earth Day uh, just yesterday. Uh, it's part of our values in order for us to actually uh, make sure that we fight climate change and do everything that we can to do so. So for us, uh, the largest emitters of um, uh, you know, greenhouse gases are uh, amongst or amongst the largest are actually our office buildings because uh, we don't have manufacturing here in DC to the extent other states do. So for us, it's really about how do we actually upgrade our office space uh, so that it is getting to those highest standards um, of environmental sustainability. And so we're actually really bullish on this. We've put in place uh, standards. Uh, we're actually starting to implement those standards now in order for our uh, buildings to catch up to our values. Um, and so right now, it's something that we've all committed to. And I think as you think about sort of those office spaces that are, uh, we don't have much class C in our uh, central business district, but even our class B, when they get upgraded, they're going to be upgraded to that higher standard. The other thing is our residents. One in eight of our residents walks to work. Uh, I'm one of those uh, who walk to work. And so we really, if you want to think about, uh, you know, post-pandemic and how people will want to work, uh, I think getting to work is important, how they'll commute. I don't think people are going to want those long commute times. What we have uh, with a, a really condensed central business district uh, that's close to housing is we have the opportunity for people to walk, to bike, or to take public transit to work. Um, and so for us, you know, fighting climate change is really critical. Um, and I think that having uh, those standards uh, for our office buildings is something that we as a city have committed to. And I know we're going to get there. What are those things that that you are worried about? Things that, you know, we might miss, we might get wrong. Um, what is it that, that gives you pause as you try desperately to fall asleep at night? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for us is that our uh, opportunity gaps don't increase coming out of this. So this has really been for us a hospitality recession. So we entered the pandemic with about 800,000 jobs. Uh, we've lost about 70,000 jobs. Uh, and a great majority of those, 60 to two thirds of them, were actually in the hospitality sector. Those jobs are, you know, while they're good paying jobs, they don't allow for people to have the savings uh, that they would need in order to weather the pandemic. And their work was interrupted and they saw layoffs or even loss of income. So for me, what I'm most concerned about is how we make sure uh, that folks can uh, participate in our economy and that the gaps that we saw before it uh, really aren't exacerbated. The other thing is when you talk about retail, uh, I talked about it earlier, said it earlier, that we had all the retail uh, you could ever want in a big city, uh, but we didn't have it in all parts of our city. So the east side of our city, 
um, is really one that we need to invest really deliberately in making sure that if we want retail, especially food access points there, we're going to have to really put our dollars behind it. The other thing I would say is uh, I mentioned our uh, sustainability standards for our buildings. Uh, we're really at the forefront of a lot of progressive initiatives, but I worry that those mandates stacked on top of uh, just a desire maybe to have uh, fewer days in the office or have less office space is something that really becomes uh, too big of a burden for our employers. So what we've asked our council to do is really to pause on any sort of tax increases or fee increases and really pause on any sort of employer mandates until we really get through a period of recovery. And so I think that's what really keeps me up at night whether we can actually create the conditions that employers want to continue to grow here in the district and even move into the district. Uh, but then also uh, that those equity gaps, uh, those opportunity gaps that were really great before the pandemic don't get any greater because of it. And I think that's something that a lot of places around the country are thinking about right now. Absolutely. And, and there's been so much good news about Washington, D.C. over the last five years, including the Nationals winning, which was, was an amazing experience. Um, I even liked it, even though I'm a Cubs fan. Uh, but it was it was amazing. But I think part of that success comes from people worrying the, the, the stuff that's behind the scenes and thinking through that and trying and constantly trying to improve it. So I, you know, I'm seeing this in a lot of cities, but uh, I've been particularly impressed. Uh, by all the work that you're doing. And, and even with the, the, the distractions of being in the headlines with the, the uh, insurrection attempt and everything else, I mean, I think this has been, uh, it has revealed as much positive as it has, uh, you know, as much to worry about or, or be scared about um, as we go through this. And uh, so um, I have to ask this, but you don't have to answer it. Uh, it. It seems to me that every, I don't know how long it's been, but you know, it seems like every once in a while I hear someone say, DC is actually a state. And in fact, you actually said that at one point as you were explaining things to me, you kept talking about the other states. Um, and, and that being the case, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to see a 51st state or, or is this something that's just ongoing? Well, listen, there's no better time for it to happen than right now. So uh, just yesterday, uh, the House of Representatives uh, passed a bill to admit D.C. Uh, as the 51st state of the union. Uh, that bill literally has been sent over to the Senate uh, for its consideration. Uh, we actually have 45 senators who signed on as uh, sponsors of the bill. Um, and we have uh, five more who uh, caucus with the Democrats. Um, who uh, we think we can get on as co-sponsors. If that were to happen, uh, and there uh, is likely going to be, I say likely, I think there's going to be an opportunity for a few bills to be taken up, uh, uh, you know, regardless of the filibuster. And so I think that if there is that opportunity, uh, there is no better chance to enfranchise uh, 712,000 Americans who pay full federal taxes, whose uh, neighbors fight in wars, uh, who do everything else that uh, residents of Chicago do. Um, we even have, uh, you know, a baseball team uh, that we root for. Everything that you can imagine that every American would want to do and uh, takes as a responsibility, we take on as well. But we're unique in the, in the American system. City, county, and state all in one. So the one thing I would say is it actually is an advantage for those who are interested in doing business in the district because you have the mayor and a 13-member council that functions as a city, county, and state all in one. 
Um, and so I think we're going to get there uh, with D.C. statehood. Uh, and this week, President Biden said that if the bill comes to him, he's going to sign it. Uh, so we're excited about where we are. That's fantastic. And will I have to refer to you then as as deputy governor uh, or, or, or are we, you know, what titles don't change? You, I don't know. You, know, you, you could just keep calling me, John, as long as you keep calling me. That's what I tell folks. All right. All right. Fair enough. Well, I, I, I look forward to calling you again and having more conversations with you as, as we go forward. And we're hopefully going to have a meeting uh, for our constituency in person in Washington, D.C. in September. But we'll see what happens. We're crossing our fingers and, and trying to figure that out. Um, so I think we've run towards the end of our time here. Uh, I really appreciate you, you spending some time with us. I want to encourage everyone uh, who is listening to subscribe, if you haven't already. Uh, we are on, it seems like, every podcast service uh, out there, Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. So you should uh, encourage all of you to, to tune in so that you don't miss one word of, uh, of these podcasts, uh, such as John telling us all of what's going on inside D.C., uh, it's, it's, you know, it, subscribe today. So anyway, now that I've said that, uh, thank you, John, for being uh, a part of the A Fire podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. And I hope everybody's here in September in DC and maybe we'll have Governor Bowser, uh, welcome everybody to the 51st state. I look forward to meeting Governor Bowser. That'll be great. You've been listening to the A Fire podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A Fire podcast, may have been obtained from third party sources considered to be reliable. A Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third party information. The opinions expressed in the A Fire podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A Fire. To learn more about the A Fire podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.